0: to Service Headline News. I am Marty Smith. I'm Eric Pratt
1: And I'm Jake Wall.
0: And we're here to bring you the latest headlines and updates pertinent to all servicemen and women. So sit back, get informed, and maybe have a laugh as the Swearing In Podcast presents Service Headline News. All right, we got a treat for you all today. Besides myself and my esteemed colleague, Eric Peratt, we also have Jake Wall joining us, auditioning with us today to see how it goes.
2: Welcome oh, aboard, Jake.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks,
1: Eric. It's good to meet you too.
2: And for
0: those of you listening, you can catch his episode. Of, God, I think you were like fourth or fifth, I think way back when last year, something like that, Jake.
1: Yeah, it was early on. It was like Warthogs and Elk and something else.
0: So, today we're doing it on the September September 27th, but tomorrow September 28th and on September 28th, 1968. On this day, special forces a camp at Thuong Duke Duck. God, I cannot pronounce that. Say Thuong that again. Duck was <laughs> defended from attack. This story is by Steve Ballastieri. Uh, okay, I got to give you a little setup on it. Uh, the U.S. back in 1968 in Vietnam, the U.S. Army Special Forces built a number of camps to defend South Vietnam. South Vietnam from communist infiltration during the war in Vietnam. These would be manned by a typical special forces A-team, manned by paramilitary Montagnard tribesmen called Camp Strikers, and they served in what was called the Civilian Irregular Defense Program, the CIDG, Irregular Defense. I know, it's crazy. But you'll hear CIDG a lot. That's going to refer to these Montagnards, the you know the natives. Yep. Uh, anybody who's seen Apocalypse Now, that's who Colonel Kurtz was leading at the end. Um, yeah, what's in
2: black shorts and black shirts? Black no, that was
0: shirts. no, that's the NVA, the, the Montagnards did it too. I, well maybe I don't know maybe they had some leftover ones, but they fought with us. The special that's forces good. led these guys. Mm. They got so, a good
1: deal on black shirts. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, what's an A-team? All right. I'm doing this for my brother, so I got to get it right. An operational detachment alpha ODA or A-team is a heart and soul of special forces. That is 12 highly trained soldiers, primarily 10 non-commissioned officers, a warrant officer, and the captain. And there are six different MOSs. I'm not gonna go into the MOSs, they, they vary from demo to medic to heavy weapons, so on and so forth. Special Forces Camp A109 at Thwang Duck was a typical Special Forces camp. It consisted of an American compound surrounded by an outer band occupied by the CIDD, CIDG troops to the south. And slightly west was a CIDG outpost. The outpost and Camp A-109 straddled fingers or ridges that extended down from the high plateau to the river valley. As such, the camp had a commanding view of the river and the river valley. And it was uh, stationed before Da Nang. So it was one of those, had several camps out uh, trying to protect Da Nang. The 5th Special Forces Group maintained an A-team at Thuong Doc from 1965 until 1970. Because of the proximity to Da Nang and its strategic importance, the North Vietnamese Army made the capture of the camp a priority. It was along a major infiltration route by the NVA and always under attack. In September of 1968, the NVA was making another major push for Da Nang. First, they had to take Camp 109, they slowly infiltrated in the mountains on three sides of the camp, building up their forces in an attempt to overrun the camp. On September 28th at 0200, the NVA 21st Regiment attacked and overran outpost Alpha and Bravo. Those outposts were about 600 meters southwest of the main camp area. Later that day, uh, the Montagnard strikers, led by Special Forces troops, took back the two outposts in hard fighting. The NVA kept up the pressure by taking several surrounding villages in the area and either killing or driving out the local inhabitants. Meanwhile, special forces troops with their organic mortars, along with artillery sport and airstrikes from the Air Force were taking a huge toll on the enemy. The A-team in Thuong Dok had in their possession a captured enemy radio set and were able to monitor the enemy's transmissions. The NVA was in desperate need of replacements and medical supplies as they were taking severe casualties. Because of these monitored transmissions, The Montagnards and Special Forces personnel from Camp 109 attacked and routed an enemy resupply column when they entered a killing field of the open area northwest of the camp several days later. They caused an additional hundred casualties of the enemy. While the MVA kept up pressure against the camp with several rocket and artillery attacks as well as many probes against the surrounding area villages, it was clear that they had lost the element of surprise and as well the initiative. Then the 7th Marines, for all you Marines out there, the 7th (laughs) Marines was tasked with relieving the surrounded camp area. 2nd and 3rd Battalion, 5th 5th Marines were attached to the regiment. The Marines and supporting South Vietnamese units began to help clear the area. Together, the Special Forces troops, the Montagnards, and the Marines, with support from attack aircraft, listen to this, attack aircraft, AC-47 gunships, Artillery from 3rd Battalion, 11th Marines, and the Army's 4th Battalion, 8th Field Artillery. I was actually in the 1st Battalion, 8th Field Artillery, by the way. The Marines slowly pushed the NVA back to the Laotian border. Casualties for the Special Forces camps from the A-109 after action included 21 Montagnards killed and 32 wounded. And nine Special Forces were wounded. Seems like there would be more.
2: So Hmm. these
0: guys were really... Actually, pretty good. Yeah, NVA yeah, dead and direct camp assaults were counted as 68. However, many more were killed in artillery and airstrikes outside the camp. Thuong Duc uh, would be attacked again by the NVA again during the time period from late April to early June 1970. In spite of this, the Military Assistance Command Vietnam, MACV, insisted on shutting down the Montagnard program and converting the camps over to Vietnamese Ranger Battalions. By November 1st, Camp A-109 was closed. Uh, The last bastion and First Corps was gone. The South Vietnamese were incapable of running the programs correctly, and the Montagnard Strikers quit in large numbers, not trusting the South Vietnamese government who treated them like second-class citizens. The conventional MACV advisors lacked the experience and communications to adequately defend the camps, and eventually the NVA swept through the areas with ease. So, another good strategic decision <laughs> by MACV. So, that was September 28th, 1968. There's I the day one, military history.
2: I have one comment. I was <laughs> always under the impression that the movie Green Beret with John Wayne was original, but it was apparently stolen from that actual event. Do you remember seeing the movie and it was 109 I, Savoy?
1: Yep, yeah, I remember that movie. It was 109
2: 109 Savoy. Yep. Wow. How good about pull, that? Eric, good Man. Pull. Blew me away. I thought it was a real story. It looks like it was based on a real event. That's even better. Yeah. Good movie. Now,
0: I mean, my God, he towered over <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, yeah. all the actors they had to play the uh, Montague. <laughs> I mean, he was a tall guy anyway, but.
2: Yeah, I mean, but your setup for that story was exactly the Green Beret movie, man.
0: That's really cool. I have to go rewatch watch it. Uh, okay, just a quick update. Uh, as Hurricane Ian is coming down the, or coming up, the Gulf Coast towards Tampa, Stars and Stripes reported just today that the Air Force and Navy evacuated planes and ships from military bases in Hurricane Ian's path. McDill Air Force Base in Tampa evacuated its fleet of KC-135. The Navy also evacuated most of its P-8 and P-3 maritime surveillance planes from nearby Naval Station Jacksonville. Eglin Air Force Base located some 300 miles farther west of McDill on the Florida Panhandle also evacuated aircraft Tuesday. Uh, Base leader sent F-35 stealth fighters out of the storm's path, but they did not close the installation Tuesday. Uh, Meanwhile... Florida activated some 5,000 National Guard troops who were staging in armories and bases across the state to respond quickly to the storm. Guard officials said another 2,000 National Guard troops from other southeastern states were also prepared to deploy to assist in recovery efforts. Uh, The Guard was poised to conduct route clearance, search and rescue, security and humanitarian assistance. Uh, The Florida Guard had staged aircraft high water vehicles and boats to respond to the storm. So, good on Florida. It's, doesn't it sound like they got it going on, right? They're already prepping. I mean, I know they prep anyway, but just to hear at least the military part, portion of it, it's, you know, that's kind of cool. I hope, I hope Ian doesn't turn into a five, but you know, you never know. Yep. You
1: know, yeah, those I, guard guys, man, I wonder what, I mean, are they like weapons loaders and stuff? And then all of a sudden they're like, okay,
0: Man, now you're this. filling sandbags. Yeah, <laughs> Could exactly. be,
2: yeah. Yeah. Because they're Space Force is gonna to have a people. guard. <laughs> they're always gonna have to get people start. off the roofs.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Well, yeah, yeah that's they're, true,
1: they're, right? No, they're not. I don't know how Space Force is gonna work, like with the guard element. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Hold on, guys. We really need hey. some GPS coverage.
0: Space Force has already done their job. They identified Accurate the hurricane. Jar. They saw yeah. the hurricane. They're like, we're done. got
2: going to give them that credit.
0: <laughs> done. Yeah, well, All right. right. No, no Space Force passion yet.
2: Okay. <laughs> the guy
1: sends the message, leans back in his very nice chair that is one year old and says, man, this is a satisfying job.
0: <laughs> Wait, almost, well, almost. You almost had that scenario right. He leans back in his chair. He strokes his Viking beard <laughs> and says, "And a satisfying job.
1: <laughs> Odin will be pleased." <laughs> <laughs> All right.
0: Oh my God, Jake. What do you got? What's your story?
1: Well, I got that uh, incident of the Coast Guard being more Navy than the Navy. So it was that article in the Navy Times where the Coast Guard cutter Kimball is up there in around Anchorage, Alaska, all oh, up in the Bering Sea. Where and are they, they out? Into, uh, they're they're based in Honolulu. So they're and a they little were far up away in the from
0: Bering Honolulu. Sea. My God. Yeah, that's and a it's a here.
1: coasty guy, yeah. So they're up there in the Bering Sea and they run into a guided missile cruiser from China, and then after they started to approach, they discovered um, there's two other Chinese naval ships and four Russian naval ch- ships, including a destroyer, all in that single formation area. Hmm. So, um, and then I mean, there's been news articles about China and Russia kind of pushing up, establishing more presence in the Arctic. In the Aleutian right. area, you right. know, it was just interesting the, the one Coast Guard guys called in backup and a uh, C-130 showed up, so scared <laughs> off of all the Chinese and Russian Navy
2: ships. What kind it, of C-130?
0: Like an AC-130? No, it
2: just
1: yeah. says C- AC-130.
2: Jesus. So that's, a... that's all the news.
1: It's like, it's some goofy <laughs> get transport get some guy. Yeah. <laughs> Some cargo up here just in case. Pallets (laughs) down on them. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there's, I mean, the C 130, man, that thing is so versatile, right? It does everything.
0: They push the the mother of all bombs out the back of a C 130,
1: don't they? Yeah. Yeah. The Moab, yeah. Jeez.
2: (laughs) Well, who knows? That could have dropped.
0: So this Coast Guard guy was just on a routine patrol or what? Just cruising around? Yeah, they right? were just
1: they were just cruising around up there in the Bering Sea just, just in case they needed to respond. And and uh Jesus. We we're like, what do you think hey, that- what's
0: that? yeah, what do you think that radar guy said?
2: Holy shit <laughs> this, can't, this can't be right. <laughs> this can't be right. <laughs> well, I know between the two of them, Beijing and Moscow have also pledged to uh, intensify that practical cooperation in the Arctic. So there you're going to start seeing more and more of that shit. When you see the Russian bombers flying by, you might even see a Chinese bomber flying with them these days. Yeah. That shit's going to get bigger and bigger.
0: What's the, do we still have base? We have way out on the end of the peninsula. Shimia? Shimya is out there. Yeah. It's still out there, right? Yeah. Geez, those guys got to be the first to go if it, get, if it gets really going. <laughs> I think I think
1: it's honestly like a token military and the rest are contractors. <laughs> honestly, like I, think contractor. like, I think they're running like some radar or some random junk out there.
0: Contractors are out there because of the big bonus to go out there.
2: <laughs> They're like, hey, so no we fight no fucking Russians.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I'm not fresh body. milk in months. <laughs> <laughs> I'm expecting to fight under these conditions, get out of here. Oh French
0: my god. <laughs> well, I, I tell yeah, you're right. Uh, the Coast Guard at one time, uh, I can't remember who they were under Department of Energy or whatever, and then they moved them over to. Department of Transportation. I, I I probably have that wrong. I think they are. But but as soon as they did that, they then they started doing. 30, they? Well, they are now. But oh, I think man. when they moved them over initially 20, 30 years ago, that's when they started doing all that drug interdiction stuff. I <laughs> mean, we all like to trash talk them, but
1: they do some awesome missions. And they then do they more come than home. we
0: do. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, and they're like, all right, I'm going to live on the coast, do some cool stuff, and be able to come home at night. Yeah, point true. That's and sure. we're trash talking them, Coasties. I, I I
0: don't know. I don't know why it's especially us Air Force guys. <laughs> Eric's the closest exactly. one that's done anything that's manly in the Air Force. So.
2: That's right. My God, Coasties don't even know what a weapon is for crash sakes. Give them a freaking fire hose or something. That's right. As they're
0: behind the the turret of those twin fifty cals, they got trained on those immigrant <laughs> ships coming in.
2: Yeah. Big yeah. drug interdiction, too. That's a good mission. Yeah, that's Fun a stuff. big
0: mission. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thanks, Jake. A couple months ago, the Army was talking about advising soldiers to go on SNAP or welfare. Well, just like that whole Air Force special duty pay when they were proposing to cut it, And then they got so much flack and they came back and said, oh, we're not going to cut that. That's ridiculous. We're not going to do that. Even though they had proposed it. Just kidding. This is almost the same way. So this story is military subsidizes service members' grocery bills amid higher prices by Casey Harper from the Center Square website on September 25th. Air Force Brigadier General Pat Ryder laid out a series of changes from Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin to help families deal with the recent rise in costs, particularly in food, housing, and childcare. We're surging funding into the commissary system to drop prices at the register so that military families see savings of at least 25% on grocery bills compared to their local marketplace. An investment That means military families will see lower grocery bills at the commissary in the next couple of weeks. This that's smart. That's you know, that's great. That's what I always thought the military would do. When you first came in the military and they're like, hey, go to the BX or go to the PX and go to the commissary, they'll beat all those prices. And you went and you're like, they're not that much cheaper. And every time I go it feels like a un food drop like everybody descends <laughs> and like the shelves are cleared and like goddamn everything's gone so you do have to pick your times i know to yeah. go but i, I didn't find it with was- those
1: discussions right like well you have to pay that surcharge you do you have don't to have to pay, pay tax right and then you have to pay the bagger well you have to
0: oh yeah forgot about Tipping that guy, I forgot about that, <laughs> and and he's right there, and you know he's getting nothing, and if you don't give oh, him yeah. something, you're going to be just the dregs of the earth. But when you're first in the military, like dude, I got like a dollar to tip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I never found it like crazily cheaper. So at least uh, I think when they originally proposed this back on September 9th about going. For the Army guys to go on SNAP. Because what it was, Sergeant Major of the Army recommended that you go to this, you seek guidance, assistance, and advice through the Army's financial readiness program. Well, if you went to that website, the guidance pointed soldiers to the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP, and linked them to the Federal Welfare Program's website. (laughs) So, I, I think people were like, what the F? And then I think they got enough feedback from them. And they're like, oh, whoa, whoa, here's what we're really going to do. We're going to pump money into the commissary so you guys will have lower prices, which is what the military should be doing anyway. It yeah, seems man, that's like. The whole,
1: in my mind, that's the whole point of the commissary, right? Yeah.
2: <laughs> right. It's not like, how, how, much, confidence you provide, how much confidence are you provide in a young airman when you tell him, hey, you need to go get that welfare check. One welfare Serve your country, but let's uh, yet? go get those food stamps and let's get you a steak. Oh,
0: I want God. that. I want to hear that retention guy come up and go, hey, uh, are you thinking about re-upping? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can I get some more yeah. food stamps? Can I buy <laughs> cigarettes with my food stamps? <laughs> I mean, it's I crazy. Like six might yeah. take um, so... Good on them, I guess, for doing the right thing. It's unfortunate that these last couple of stories we covered about Air Force Special Duty pay going on snap. They get feed, they get terrible, probably terrible, uh, and loads amounts of uh, negative feedback on these stories. And they're like, whoa, 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 we got to do something about this. So at least they changed their policy. So good, good for them. They're changing it and hopefully they're making things cheaper over at the commissary. I mean that the SNAP is already in existence.
1: So the sergeant major was like, Hey, this program's already here. It's the easiest route to get you taken care of.
0: And Jake, you, you know? brought it up when we were talking earlier, because I remember having soldiers on WIC that were using yeah. WIC. Yeah. You know, they had families, they got, you know, they got in, they got married in basic or right out of basic. They had a kid. Um, yeah, especially
1: on that. up in Alaska, like food was expensive.
0: Oh, yeah. So, I guess way back when it probably still. Yeah,
1: all, all those. It was weird because all the NCOs and I maybe should have taken this as a red flag. But <laughs> all the NCOs were on WIC. <laughs> hmm. Looking back now.
0: <laughs> it makes sense. No. <laughs> <laughs> well that won't be like that when I get there. <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: no, they'll fix it. They'll fix <laughs> it by then.
0: Like I said, at least at least they caught it and they're and they're doing something about it. So soldiers don't have to go on welfare unless they want to. They still have an option, but at least they're gonna lower some commissary prices. Hey, How I was you thinking th-
1: about that too, because you guys brought up that the housing and all that stuff last time oh, a couple episodes ago.
0: Oh, that was and Eric's
1: it, story. Yeah. <laughs> and And, and um, right around that same time, I mean, I'm not conspiracy theorizing or anything, but all the housing went privatized at that point in time. CE no longer took care of the houses. Oh, all the yeah. All companies came in. I that know brings at Vandenberg, a- oh. I know at Buckley, and yeah. Schriever, and Pete, all the housing went away from base control. And then they all slowly moved to having to pay. Like it was automatically pay for um, electric and water
2: maintenance. And all for
1: that. Your gun, yeah. yeah. And maintenance. Yeah. Maintenance. Cause you used to be able to go to like self help. Yep.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 right.
1: You go there and get light bulbs and nails and, you know, all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. For cheap. You can do, do basic it all. Ma- yeah.
1: And they just issued it out.
0: They don't well, do that
1: anymore. You gotta call.
0: You know, and, and uh does Peterson still have uh like the garage and stuff that the airmen could go in there and use?
2: Oh yeah you mentioned just self
0: help and I was like shit they could go down there they could work on the cars yeah. they could get stuff for their house I mean I think those days are all past I guess.
1: Yeah I don't know I know that facilities or the building's still there I've never I haven't gone in there for years. Yeah, yeah.
2: Nor I. I knew I guys used to do their oil changes down there, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: all the time. Yeah. I did my breaks at, at Peterson. Yeah. Because they had a chance. Yeah, I wonder if
2: that's, yeah, I wonder if that's still available. Everything. All right, What's Eric, the close us out. What do you got?
0: You, well,
2: you know, since Jake was going to start tonight with us, I thought it'd be really good for me to educate him a little bit on some military history. And in this case, it's the famous birth control glasses and where it came from. <laughs> so, the article by Sarah Secard, uh starts with, uh, when I was 15 years old, my vision started to go. And as a military bat- brat, the options for eyewear were limited to a set of frames offered by the Navy's medical system. It was while trying on various pairs that I heard the phrase birth control glasses for the first time. <laughs> well, I
1: didn't think dependents no. wore those either. Well, that
2: is horrible
1: wait, wait, but, to have a 15-year-old girl be like,
0: I can understand oh, yeah.
1: me going through basic.
0: That's here's your free cannibal. Here's your free glasses. Have fun at homecoming.
2: <laughs> uh, no. Most of them were just clear lenses. They weren't even prescription. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh it continues, luckily my parents decided I could invest I could invest in eyewear from lens crafters. But for about a century, service members and more recent history, those in basic training, haven't been so lucky. At least that's how long the military crusaded to transform anyone wearing a standard issue spectacle into, well, a spectacle. <laughs> now you're Clever. gonna Clever. in nineteen seventeen, the US military came to the realization that not every sailor, soldier, airman, or marine had perfect vision. Duh. <laughs> As each, and as such, the Subcommittee of Ophthalmology, which fell under the Council of National Defense, was tasked with standardizing glasses. At the beginning of the war, no provision existed for supplying soldiers with spectacles, according to Army records. The remedy for the lack of standardized eyewear during World War I gave rise to the military's now infamous birth control glasses. The need for proper eyewear led to the development of a program in 1917 to furnish spectacles to officers and recruits for a price 10% over the government's cost for the frame and lenses. Oh, of course. Which, by the way, you can't afford now because you're on WIC. So don't even try. <laughs> the following year, the Army authorized the free issue of spectacles to enlisted personnel. That program ended in 1918, however, and it was not expected to be resurrected. Unfortunately, just two short decades later, another world war necessitated standard issue eyewear. The medical department was alerted in May of 41 by the commanding officer of the Post Hospital at Fort McClellan, Alabama, who reported 75 enlisted men with glasses broken in the line of duty who could not (laughs) afford replacements, and others for whom glasses had been prescribed, but who had no money to buy them. A month right. later, on the recommendation of the Surgeon General, the medical department was directed to provide spectacles and repairs and replacements to all military personnel needing them.
0: That was probably because yeah. of all the all the sergeants slapping them. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Slapping how many got knocked
1: off? off your face? <laughs> I like how some accountant got a hold of it and we're like, do we really need people that can see <laughs> my god like that's like an extra $2.35 four, $2 years. And
0: 35 cents. Yeah.
1: four <laughs> years we could save this much money
2: It's <laughs> just an ugly ass frame
1: <laughs> like world war one came on and like, dang it
0: well I, I mean they, do they, they're a little blurry can they still sight <laughs> the weapon or what they don't really need glasses do they they don't need it <laughs> Definitely, they don't need any teeth, so don't worry about that. That will never do that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> the Army originally went with frames that were 10% nickel silver, Ooh. but increased that construction to 18% when it was noted that the heat on the lower percentage glasses called dermatitis. In other words, you got- oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> How about These guys that? are all breaking out from the glasses. <laughs> The on with your face man
1: look ugly they make your face ugly
2: <laughs> the American optical company and the Bosch and Lom optical company oh. were the only two outfits that could handle such wide-scale production needs and while the contract was originally given to the former it was eventually unable to meet demand making Bosch and Lom the official eyewear makers for the US Army.
0: All right, big contract.
2: yeah, that's huge. The wireframes of the time, of course, were not exactly the most flattering spectacles, but it would be in the aftermath of World War II that the thick <laughs> thick black iterations, also known as BCGs, made their debut. First, <laughs> first there were black, thick rimmed cellulose acetate oh. frames, <laughs> A version that eventually settled into its brown S9 form in the mid-1970s. And like mother told me when I tried on a pair at the base ophthalmologist's office, they make you so ugly that no one wants to sleep with you.
0: See, I always, yeah, I, I have never heard that
2: uh, take from a
0: woman. This is a woman who wrote this article, right? Yep. Because it was always like, Dude, you're going to wear those glasses out. You are going home <laughs> alone. It's not going to happen,
1: big boy. <laughs> they, to be fair, they are the sturdiest in
0: glasses. Ever. Yeah, I, I think I still have my yeah, original. There's like a bear.
1: four or five hinge in one arm, you know?
2: <laughs> right, right. My goodness. <laughs> and that big black rubber band around your head to keep them on your face. Oh, Dude.
1: Man, yeah. Remember the gas mask <laughs> insert ones?
0: Oh, those uh, t- sucked. <laughs> they fogged up immediately and never unfogged.
2: Instant. Instant. <laughs> I remember when I had an NCO, was a senior mass sergeant. He made the guy take the inserts out when his BCGs broke, and he made two rubber bands and tied them on the back of his <laughs> head. <laughs> he had to wear those until he got them repaired. <laughs> That's
0: that's well, you gotta do you gotta on with the mission, right? You gotta go.
2: That was an improvisation for sure. (laughs) That is all I have on BCGs. That's it. (laughs) That's it, my friend. I thought there were more. No, No, I mean shit, nineteen seventeen. Come on, how far do you wanna go back?
1: (laughs) My my neighbor still randomly wears his. Wow. It's fantastic.
0: Well, I mean, (laughs) When did that, when when did it say the those black frames? Yep, because see, I, I remember the brown ones, but they were black before, right? Because that was yeah. the all they wore in the 50s. It was kind of stylish in the
2: 50s. It was black, thick rimmed cellulose plastic yeah, eight frames, cellulose plastic. <laughs> <Yep>. um,
0: <clears throat> but I had, uh, I remember I had a pair of black ones. I was like, oh, these are kind of retro, you know. Back in the eighties, I was like, I don't know. They, they still look like they look, but they were much better than the brown ones the army gave. And the brown ones, I remember, you had like three choices, and it was just the size of the frame. So you could get like the yeah, big yeah. kind of eighties ones, or you could a, a medium or a smaller frame. That was it. It yeah. was this crazy brown, not even a tortoise shell. It was just a brown, ugly. Those were uglier than the black
2: ones. You know, those have been discontinued now.
0: Yeah, because now I think well, they have all those bases on or those shops on the bases yeah. and on post that have kind of contracted with them.
2: Those brown ugly yeah. ones were discontinued in 2012.
0: Oh, see, you did have a little <laughs> bit extra on that.
2: Well, I just it might and be, and
0: they might be vintage point. now though, huh? <laughs> Oh yeah. Right. yeah. They might be I a mean, It's kind of it's kind of Uh, douchebag ironic to wear them now.
2: You know, know, it's for those military guys who are honoring Roy (laughs) Orbison.
0: (laughs) Orbison, (laughs) It could be. Yeah.
1: (laughs) That is true.
0: On behalf of Master Sergeant Peratt and Senior Master Sergeant Wall, I'd like to thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please leave a like and share the podcast with someone else. Let us know how we did in the comments. And as always, make sure to download the next episode for more service headline news. Eric and Jake, I'll see you next week.
1: Eric, I'd like to pass on a little bit of uh, advice. First safety brief I ever received. No glove, no love. (laughs) Okay, Jake,
0: thanks. (laughs)